0: Thank you, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat.
1: All right, Emmaus, let me invite you to open your Bible to Daniel chapter 7. We are going to do the sermon in two parts this morning. We're going to do this first part, then we're going to sing some more songs, and we're going to do the second part, and then take the Lord's Supper. Here's what I need right now, though. Those of you kids who are at kids camp this week, I need you to come up on stage with me and you're going to teach the memory verse from this last week from kids camp. Not as much dancing involved this time, but come on up here. Hey, as the kids are coming up on stage, next Sunday, July 11th, we have a lot of things. You guys stand out here in front of me, right there, just along the front. Next Sunday, July 11th. We have several different things going on here at Emmaus. Can you guys bring that July 11th slide up if you've got it available? Next Sunday, we have a membership information meeting. If you've been attending Emmaus for a while and you're looking to get connected, we've got an opportunity for you to do that. If you've just been a guest of ours and you would love to know some more about Emmaus, We have a lunch, a free lunch available for you. We want you to have that. And then next Sunday night, I'm going to send out an email reminder this week. We have a big church-wide picnic next Sunday night. Kids are going to be sharing about the summer. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we want you to know that that's coming. I've asked the kids to come up here, and they are going to teach you the memory verse that they learned this last week at camp, which is Luke 19.10. It's going to be on the screen behind you, so... You can watch the kids do the motions and the verse will be up there. Kids, if you forget the words, I know you won't, but they're way back on that screen uh, up there. Let's not go too fast because we need them to make sure they get the words and the motions and all that good stuff. But we start with the number four, right? Is that correct? Is everybody good with that? Okay, here we go. We're going to go for it right now. One, two, three, four. the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Luke nineteen ten. Well, boom. All right. And that little thing at the end was apparently the acronym for memory verse of the week or something like that. That was how that was supposed to work. So that verse is not just a great verse for kids camp. We're actually gonna come around to that verse later today in the sermon as we're looking at scripture together. Let me give you another acronym as we get started this morning. This acronym is the acronym VUCA. Now, you may have heard of this. VUCA is a pretty well-known acronym. It's been used in military contexts over the years for training. It's so good to see all the red, white, and blue uh, clothing this morning. It's been used in that context. There's a cultural commentator named Ben Johansson who's using VUCA a lot right now to describe the world we live in. We live in a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. The type of world we live in right now is, is so volatile. You get the idea that the world has always changed. Probably what gets our attention right now is how fast change is happening, The volatility you see not only economically, but just across the spectrum in in our world. Uncertain, even the people who make a living predicting what's coming in the future have so little uncertainty about what that is going to look like. Complex, you know in your own lives, you've probably thought before, you know what? If our family just faced one challenge at a time, you know, that'd be hard, but we could probably deal with that, except when it rains, it pours, right? (laughs) Life is so complicated, so complex. It's not like you can just deal with one issue and it fixes everything else. There's all of these things at work in our lives, and it's ambiguous. We know something's not right, but it's so hard to get our hands around it, understand the reality. We live in a world that is like this, but the good news is the book of Daniel comes to us in a very similar world. Volatile, uncertain, complicated and complex, ambiguous. The question is, what do you do in that kind of world? How do you respond? Daniel chapter seven, verse one. Daniel chapter seven, verse one. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, so this is the year 550 B.C., we've gone backward a little bit from chapter six. Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed, then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Now, at this point in the book of Daniel, we've seen other people dreaming, and Daniel has come in to give the interpretation. But in Daniel chapter 7, the book of Daniel starts to change a little bit. It goes from mainly stories that have been told, famous stories, fiery furnace, Daniel in the lion's den, and now you have a transition to what's often called, $1,000 word here, so prepare yourself, We're moving into a part of Daniel that's often called the apocalyptic version of Daniel, the apocalyptic section of Daniel. This is where you start to get all these dreams that have very strange imagery going on in these dreams. And let me just be very honest with you, a lot of times when pastors preach through the book of Daniel, they stop at the end of chapter (laughs) 6. And when you get into chapter 7, you can figure out why they stop at the end of chapter 6. Now, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep going. Because what I want you to see, and and this is important, so key in on this point because this will be important going forward. The overall message of the book of Daniel doesn't change when you go from chapter 6 to chapter 7. The imagery changes a little bit. The way it's presented changes a little bit. But the overall message doesn't change. It's the same thing in your New Testament. When you read the Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament, and then you read the book of Revelation at the end of the New Testament, remember, those are still proclaiming the same message. Different imagery, different ways of doing it, but we get in trouble when we start to draw divisions and start to look for different ideas. It's the same victory of God. It's the same hope of the Gospel. And so even though this is going to change, keep in mind what we've studied up to this point. Verse 2. Daniel declared... I saw in my vision by night. Imagine your kids running into a room and telling they had a nightmare, and here's the nightmare they had. (laughs) Behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. Now there's a nightmare to have tonight. Imagine a nightmare in which you're dreaming and you see four winds coming in to stir up the ocean, to stir up the sea, What's going on at that point? Well, four winds represents every imaginable direction on the compass, the four directions of the compass. So this, whatever is happening encompasses the entire world. And when you hear about the sea being stirred up in this way, remember that at the very beginning of your Bible, the Spirit of God is hovering over the world, and things are in chaos in the ancient world, the sea was often associated with chaos. Everything is chaotic. Everything is being stirred up and is happening all over the world. It's volatile. And in the middle of this, these four beasts emerge from the sea, four representations of evil. Now, here's the key back in chapter two of Daniel, we've already had a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had about a statue that was made in four parts. So we're already prepared for this type of reality, that here we're presented with the progression of evil throughout history, evil that comes from every imaginable part of the globe. Daniel's confronting this now in his own dream. Verse 3. Or, uh, sorry, verse 4. The first of these beasts was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Kids, if you like to draw during sermons... Today is your day, because there are some crazy characters to draw. Uh, there's a line here that has eagle's wings, and as Daniel looked in his dream, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. Most likely, scholars are almost in complete agreement, not very much on Daniel 7, but at least on this point, that this beast represents Babylon. This beast right here, even think about what happened in Nebuchadnezzar when he went from a man to acting like a beast to acting like a man again. That same idea is going on here. This very much represents Babylon, the power that was great at the time of the beginning of the book of Daniel. Look at the next verse. Verse 5, yeah, verse 5. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. This bear was raised up on one side it had three ribs in its mouth. Some of you will do that tonight at July 4th parties, but that's not the same idea, okay? This is something completely different. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. Now at this point, there's disagreement among scholars about what this beast represents, but most scholars say that this beast represents The Medo-Persian Empire, primarily the Persian Empire that would follow Babylon. This is Darius and Cyrus and and that empire that would come that would cause so much destruction in the world. So we have this beast that comes, that that brings destruction and devours everything in its path. Then you have in verse 6, After this I looked, and behold another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back, And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Now, if we take this historically, and we take this in line, the next empire that comes on the scene is Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire. Most likely, this is what you have referenced here, is that this is the coming of the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great. We're going to get more of that next week when we get into Daniel chapter 8. You're going to get more about that empire and the role that it plays in the book of Daniel. But this is the idea we have coming. Now, watch what happens in the next verse. After this, in verse seven, the nightmare gets worse. (laughs) Verse seven, after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. Take all those other deformed beasts and just ratchet it up a level, and you have this fourth beast that Daniel observes. Now, there's a pattern. There's a pattern here of three dangerous beasts And then a greater one rising up to be even worse. Remember that pattern because that's going to come in handy in a second. The second half of verse 7. This fourth beast had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. Okay, most likely, most likely at this point... What we have is a reference to the Roman Empire, but not just the Roman Empire. This fourth beast is the embodiment of evil. This is the work of the kingdom of darkness arising here. So, yes, do you draw a connection to the Roman Empire? I think so. I think that's appropriate here, though some would make a continued connection to the Greek Empire. I think this is probably Roman. But if we just think Rome, we miss the point. That this fourth beast is overwhelming, this is terrifying, this is your worst nightmare. This is every evil thing that has come into your life. This is every source of pain and difficulty you have faced. This is everything that is broken about the world is rising up at this point. And you see this progression that's happening here with this beast. What do you find? Oh, let me make a reference as well. You see that 10 horns? Remember in Daniel, we're always facing this tension between a number being symbolic and a number making some type of historical reference. The whole book of Daniel has prepared us to see these numbers as symbolic. When you see the number as 10, this can refer actually to 10 historical figures, certainly, but a horn represents a powerful leader that's rising up, and 10 is almost always a number of completeness here. So this 10 horns rising up is, again, a reference to all the prideful, powerful leaders that will be opposed to God rising up here. Now, next verse, verse 8. Daniel said, I was thinking about these horns that were coming up. I considered the ten horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. So you have these ten horns, like uh, the ten horns of a unicorn, ten unicorns lined up and ten horns there, and then one rises up and moves three of them to the side. Traditionally, this little horn has been connected to the Antichrist figure uh, at the end of history, and I think that's appropriate as long as we don't only make that connection. We have an idea here of horn, again, with this powerful force, this powerful kingdom of darkness that is is rising up here, and behold— What do we find out? In this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. This little horn that rises up looks like a human being. And that's not a throwaway phrase in the sermon. That's going to become super important when we get to the end. This little horn has features of a human being, and man, this thing's mouthy. (laughs) Like, this little horn should make you so angry and just like want to pull out the mom and grandma card and slap it because it's so mouthy, so prideful, so destructive in the world. Now there's a lot of tension built up by Daniel's nightmare here. And we're going to resolve it in a minute, but I want to jump ahead to verse 15 and see the way that interpretation happens. And then we're going to come back to the middle and see the way this is resolved. Jump ahead in your Bible to verse 15. In verse 15, it says, for As for me, Daniel, My spirit within me was anxious. And if you struggle with nightmares, you know that feeling in in your life when you wake up. The visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These four beasts, these great beasts, are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Don't forget this. When you study apocalyptic literature like Daniel or Revelation, there's always going to be disagreement about the details, but the big picture is super clear. Anytime you study Daniel, anytime you study Revelation, remember there's going to be disagreement about the details, but we get the big picture. There will always be human leaders and human kingdoms rise up and oppose the way of God. But the way of God will always, always, always endure, always come out victorious. The people of God will always conquer, not because of their own worthiness, but because of the power of God at work through Jesus Christ. Don't miss the big gospel picture going on here. Verse 19, Daniel says, hey, that's great but I was terrified by that fourth beast. <laughs> I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze. Now at this point, iron and bronze in Daniel 2 referred to both the third and the fourth portions of the statue, because we can already see where the evil is being mixed up and you can see all the pattern coming together here and stamped what was left with its feet. Verse verse 20, And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. Verse 21, As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Set that aside until next week. We'll come back and pick that up next week. Verse 22, Until... "...the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time when the saints possessed the kingdom." So in verse 23, thus he said, "...as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise." And another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the most high and shall wear out the saints of the most high and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Let's stop there for just a second in verse 25. You can pick up pretty quickly References that would make sense of an Antichrist figure at the end of time. But there's also a lot of historical reference reference here to somebody we'll talk about next week. Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a ruler of of this uh, Syrian army that would come in. Uh, Antiochus, the role that he would play, the Seleucid kingdom that he would play. What I really want to point you to is the end of the verse. Where it says a time, times, and half a time. What's going on there? The way that progression works, a time, one period of time, times, two periods of times, we would expect the next phrase to be, and four times, one, two, four. It's building up toward this idea of eternal control, except the way that phrasing comes across is so, so powerful. A time. This ruler will now rule for two times and a half a time. It's like God comes in and says, don't worry. No matter what worldly kingdom rises up, their rule will always, always be temporary. I will always be in control of that. They will not have eternal rule. I have eternal rule. Their rule will always be temporary. Verse 26 But the court shall sit in judgment. And this horn, his dominion, shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, speaking of the Most High. And all dominions, all rulers shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Daniel's still concerned about the evil in the world, but I want to take you back to verse 9 to show you what the resolution of this is. What's at the core of this story? If you go back to verse 9, look what happens at the very middle of Daniel's dream because this is where we find hope. This is where we find direction here. Back in verse 9 it says, As I looked in this dream, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. How beautiful is this? Think about this. Daniel is terrified by what he's facing in life. He has this nightmare where he sees all these evil beasts rising up out of the chaos. He's living in a VUCA world. It's volatile, it's uncertain, it's complex, it's ambiguous. Things are out of control for Daniel. And in the middle of his dream, he sees these thrones. And on one of the thrones sits down the Ancient of Days, what a great way to refer to the Most High God. Daniel, I've been around for a while. Just chill. <laughs> this is why it's so good to have a multi-generational church. When new generations come along and they're panicking about new things happening, we need people in our life that just say, hey, I've been around the block a time or two. God's in control. Just, just chill. He, he's got this. He's holy. He's wise. He's wise. He's powerful. Verse 10 says that a stream of fire came out before him. A thousand thousand served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. Hey, you can have your fours and your tens, I've got thousands and ten thousands that are worshiping me. God's power overwhelms the situation. Verse 11, I look then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. Man, this little horn. So here's this powerful fire is issuing from the throne of the Ancient of Days, and this little horn is still chirping over here. Like, you're like, come on, dude, look at the scoreboard. Like, this is not even close. Like, you got your ten horns and you're rising up and thousands before the throne of the ancient of days and he's still chirping and, as I look, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. This is why I like the book of Revelation so much in the New Testament. It gets built up in folklore with all this crazy imagery that comes in and all these ideas that are built up and then you get to the end and, The enemy was destroyed by the word of the mouth of God. So definitive is God's victory that it isn't even trumped up. It's not even given any type of extra imagery. It's just, and the beast was killed. Verse 12, as for the rest of the beast, there's still evil in the world. Their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. What I want you to understand right here is in a world of chaos, in a world that's volatile, that's changing faster than we can ever imagine, in a world that's uncertain, here's what this text is calling us to do. To trust and worship the ancient of days. Now I realize, let me me be straightforward with you. I realize that might not count as the most practical sounding sermon application point. But it is the most important thing we can do today that when we trust and worship the ancient of days, when life is chaotic, when the world is broken, when things are changing so fast, when your future is uncertain, the most important thing you can do is trust the one who sits on the throne. Trust the one who is holy and wise and good and powerful. What are you facing in your life right now that you are struggling to trust God with? What are you facing in your life right now that you are struggling to trust God with? Your life has been a little bit chaotic. Your future is feeling very uncertain. Life feels way more complicated than you ever imagined it would. And here is Daniel facing this nightmare of these beasts coming out of the sea. And in the middle of his nightmare, he sees the most high God seated on his throne And he's put in a position where he says, I want to trust him. I want to worship him. I want to praise him. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to do exactly that. (laughs) We are going to trust and worship the Ancient of Days. Here in just a second after I pray for us, we're going to stand up and sing a couple of songs. And this is not the end of the service. We're going to come back and do the last part and take the Lord's Supper together. But we're going to praise together our great God. And during this time, Let me invite you to come for prayer. Maybe there's something you're struggling to trust God with, and it's been a long time since you got out of your chair and came forward to the altar in a church service and said, I need to trust God with this. I just need to spend time in prayer. Maybe there's somebody in here you know is going through a hard time, and the best thing you could do during these two psalms is just go and pray with them. Just go and encourage them. Put your arm around their shoulder and pray with them. If you need someone to pray with you during this time, you're struggling to trust the Lord, I'll be down here at the front. We're just gonna praise God. We're gonna pray, we're gonna trust him, and then we're gonna come back and look at the resolution of this passage. Let me pray for us, then we're gonna sing together. God, I pray at this moment, in the middle of our service, as we sing these songs about praising you, as we sing these songs about trusting you, God, I pray that that's exactly what we would do God, every one of us in here knows that the world in so many different ways feels chaotic and uncertain, and we see great beasts rising up that are seeking to oppose your ways and your kingdom, and yet you are perfectly in control. God, you are holy, you are where we look for wisdom, you are the one who is all-powerful, and you alone are able to defeat these beasts, and so we trust you. And in this moment, God, I pray that you would draw people to prayer. God, I pray that people would come to the altar. I pray that they would pray with friends and family around them. And I pray that the words of these psalms would be the confession of their trust in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let me invite you to stand. We're going to sing a couple of psalms together. invite you to come for prayer if you need that. Let these psalms be the declaration of your trust in the Lord.
0: in him as we sing this song, let's trust that he is fighting for us in his glory. i Savior this morning that fights our battles, and the reason why we can trust that is because he has already secured the victory, that we can rest in what has already happened. So I call you this morning to cast your mind off yourself and on him. Let's sing. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus led. Savior on that cursed tree, his body
1: So you have four great beasts rising up to represent all the evil and brokenness of the world. You have one Ancient of Days seat on the throne. Verse 13, I also saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days And was presented before him. Now we know from Psalm chapter 68, verse 4, that a reference to on the clouds of heaven, sing to God, sing praise to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice before him. If Daniel has a dream, a vision, and he sees one riding on the clouds, who's he thinking of? He's thinking of the Lord. He's thinking of the Most High God, the one who comes, writing. But what do we see in verse 13? This one who came with the clouds of heaven, he came like a son of man. Divine, Lord of the universe, but distinct in some way from the ancient of days. And he comes like a son of man. Like like a son of man can refer to a human being to one who comes as a human. But we also know because of the reference to coming on the clouds, we're talking about a divine figure. So what do you have coming? You have a divine being who is coming as a human being to come to the people of God. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. What did we find out earlier? That the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Did you know That the most common way that Jesus referred to himself was as the son of man. And when Jesus refers to himself as the son of man, he's hearkening back to what? Daniel chapter 7. The one who would come fully divine, fully human, to bring the kingdom of God to the people of God. That when Jesus speaks of being like a son of man... He's speaking, yes, of his humility, his humanity, but he's also speaking of his heavenly origin and his power that he brings, which is why you get a verse in Revelation, like Revelation 14, 14, where it says, John says, I looked, and behold, a white cloud, again, Daniel 7 language, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Did you know in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen looks into the heavens at the time of his martyrdom, he sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the throne of God. And in Revelation chapter 1, when John is introducing the vision he sees in heaven, he speaks of one like a Son of Man, that Jesus came as the Son of Man to seek and to save those who are lost. Daniel chapter 7 verse 14, what happens when the Son of Man comes? To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. When the Ancient of Days sends the Son of Man, the people of God will serve the Son of Man as part of God's kingdom. His dominion, the Son of Man who comes, his dominion will never end. It is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall never be destroyed. Those who trust and worship the ancient of days will follow and serve the Son of Man. Those who trust and worship the ancient of days will follow and serve the Son of Man, the one who came to give his life for you, who died on the cross in our place for our sins, and who rose from the grave to conquer death, fully divine, fully human, Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was the son of man from Daniel 7 all the way to the book of Revelation. And friends, that is good news, because those who trust and follow him, who serve him with their lives, will do that for all of eternity. And what we have a chance to do this morning is celebrate that together with the Lord's Supper that when we stand and say oh praise the name that we declare that that we would turn around and remember the reason we're able to do that is because of the Son of Man who gave his life for us and so as we take of the Lord's Supper this morning we are remembering that our hope is in the broken body and the blood of Jesus and our eternal hope is because of his resurrection from the dead here in just a minute I'm gonna pray for us, and after I pray for us, we're gonna have people come to these tables and prepare to serve the elements to you. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, if you say, I know the Son of Man, I've trusted in him for salvation, I've given my life to him, that you would come and take of these elements. You'll pick up two cups, if you have a gluten allergy and need that, a gluten-free cracker. It's in the middle in those purple cups. They're stacked together. Twist them apart if they get stuck. Take these cups back to your chair and wait. And as the church this morning, we are going to worship the Ancient of Days by celebrating the gift of the Son of Man. If you don't know that to be true in your life, if you say, you know what? I appreciate my family's involvement with church I'm curious about the things of Jesus, but I'm not a follower of Jesus. This morning, there's no embarrassment, no shame and not taking of the elements that you would use this as a time to reflect. What do I believe about this teaching from Daniel 7? What do I believe about who Jesus said he was? Where is my hope in life? Don't waste this opportunity to consider God's work in your life. Emmaus, let me pray for you. We're going to worship the Ancient of Days by serving the Son of Man. Let's pray together. Father, when we come together as a church, the only reason we are able to gather and praise you together is because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. God, let us never get over how incredibly powerful it is that in the middle of this nightmare that Daniel is facing in Daniel 7, that your glory breaks in, he's reminded to trust you, And then you show him a picture of the one who would come to defeat all evil and all sin and all death. God, let us never lose sight of how beautiful and how powerful that is. And Father, as we take the Lord's Supper right now, as we take this cracker and this juice, God, let us remember what it means to trust and to follow and to serve the Son of Man who came to seek and to save the lost. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. There are tables down here at, front, at the front. There are tables behind here on the landing. As well, if you're in the stadium seating, there are tables in both corners and at this middle camera. If you'll stand up now and begin to go to one of these tables, get those elements and then return back to your seat and we will take them together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us take and eat together. same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me would you stand with us now we're going to sing the doxology and after that we'll be dismissed after we're dismissed though if you need someone to pray with you if you're a guest this morning and You'd like to introduce yourself and we can encourage you, tell you more about the church, I'll be down here at the front. We'd love to do that. If you have never trusted in Jesus for salvation and you want to talk to somebody about that, don't leave this room without doing that. We'll be right here at the front. We'd love to do that. Let's sing the doxology together and we'll be dismissed.
0: Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creation. Here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy be blessed go in peace and live under the goodness and the power of God today